Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hotcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by GoIowaWassamanRivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by Trevor McHugh from Maze and Blue Review, our Rivals Michigan site today to preview the Big Ten championship game happening this weekend, Michigan and Iowa in Indianapolis. Lucas Oil, Trevor, how are you, sir? Uh, first of all, second of all, are you, are you going to the game in Indy this weekend? Yeah, yeah, I'll be up Let's in the go. box for that one. Yeah, sweet. Me too. Um, oh, good. Cool. Yeah. We'll be up then. yeah. Are, you head, are you heading up Friday? No, we're leaving uh, first thing Saturday morning, and then we'll stay Saturday night, and I'm assuming celebrate, but we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, like I've said on our last podcast, I'm sticking around for uh, Iowa's playing Purdue on Monday, too, so it's oh, nice cool. to make a little business trip. I've never been to West Lafayette, so I've heard it's insane, so looking forward to that. But it's It just appears out of nowhere. So Does it? <laughs> yeah, I remember our drive down there, I was just like, Windmill, windmill, windmill. Oh, there's a Big Ten college campus all of a sudden. All right. <laughs> that sounds like uh, much of my upbringing of corn, 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 windmill, I, corn, more corn. <laughs> I was say, we drove, we drove for the Nebraska game this year. So, oh, yeah, took the, the I-80 route. So I'll make you happy and say this. I, I do think Iowa's corn is better than Nebraska's. Much more, Let's go. Much more scenic drive. But I even had to Google search. <laughs> I now know that 63% of your land is covered in corn or soy beans. So That's us, I baby. couldn't believe how much there was. But <laughs> yeah, yeah much, we, we did decide the Iowa view was significantly better than Nebraska. So you got that going for you. But Good to know. <laughs> North Northwest Iowa, my, my home part of the state Ida Grove is very much very much uh just corn not a whole lot to do Sioux City up in that area compared to Sioux City but uh, western Iowa and Nebraska are pretty similar but still Iowa takes the cake of uh, Trevor McHugh so I'll take the take the W when we can get it (laughs) um so a lot to talk about this weekend uh regarding this football game Iowa Michigan Big Ten Championship the first thing I want to hit on in this one is something that's been a huge national narrative and that's Jim Harbaugh on the sideline once again, now that we're hitting postseason. Um, I want to ask you broadly your first thoughts on the sign-stealing investigation, what has come of it. I mean, I, I listen to a few national college football podcasts, and some of them are like, this is horrible, and other other ones are, this is stupid. Everybody does this. It's just gone to another level because, well, it was October, and – viewership goes down and, and stuff like that. So I, I just want to hear what your thoughts are on it, Trevor. Well, this is going to be a three hour show now. Right? <laughs> no, uh, broadly first um, I, I've said pretty consistently that if, if Michigan broke rules, if coaches, whoever broke rules, they should be punished and the punishment should be equitable and at least relatable to precedent. Right. I, I've never tried to pretend that Michigan didn't do anything wrong, right? I think what's gotten off track here, and this is the media part of it, is that even calling it sign stealing, right? That That's not illegal. That's not the rule that, that they broke. The rule they potentially broke, and we still don't even know the full descriptions of it yet, is the in-person scouting, right? So this idea that Michigan was stealing signs and it was this massive advantage, and then even language used by Michigan State's athletic director, and then eventually the Big Ten commissioner, that player safety was in jeopardy. That's the part where I start to like step back, because what we knew 
just literally because everybody says it and what we know now because we've seen physical evidence is everybody does steal signs. You can use broadcast footage and all 22 film to steal signs and create sheets with the signs and call sheets. So we've seen the stolen sign sheet that Ohio State was using in 2018 of Don Brown. We know Ohio State had Michigan signs in 2022 and then shared them with Purdue for the 2022 Big Ten Championship game where Michigan and more specifically Connor Stallions, because at this point it has not been connected to anyone else other than potentially a Michigan booster apparently helped fund it, but none of the coaches per the NCAA have been connected to it. What Stallions did for some reason and what appears to be just this fringe lunatic fanboy, right? This guy just trying to get an edge was sending like college kids or like just random people, right? So far, the only person that's come forward and talked was a former D3 coach that said he did go to a game. And it was so funny because he's like, yeah, it started raining at halftime. So I said, screw this, I'm leaving, which is just hilarious to me, right? But he sent them to get this iPhone footage that was just so unnecessary. Even in the text messages we've seen, he bragged about stealing signs using the broadcast footage in the All-22. So I don't know if he thought he found a loophole in this rule that the NCAA two years ago said provides no competitive advantage is outdated because of technology and should be tossed. They didn't toss it. I'm sure we'll see changes moving forward. I don't know if he thought he found a gray area or if he was just trying to get an edge or what, but it was obviously stupid and it's brought a massive cloud around this program. But the idea that it was this biggest cheating scandal ever and um, you know, some of the framing that we've seen from the media has obviously gone away now because Michigan has won these football games without stallions around and without Jim Harbaugh on the sideline. And that's kind of changed the narrative. So, you know, Harbaugh's already been suspended three games. I think for this portion of it, he's probably not going to see anything else. Michigan might get some fines or some scholarship, you know, punishment or whatever it might be. Um, But it's, it's just been exhausting. And for the team, especially they have felt like it wasn't just this isolated event, but they were trying to take away everything they've accomplished in the last three years. Right. And they, they don't even know what is happening here. Right. Like what this portion of it is, but they know how hard they've worked in the weight room and, and, you know, in the meeting rooms and on the field and whatever. So they've really felt attacked by all of this and in a weird way has pushed them even further ahead. You know, this team was almost too confident in a lot of ways coming into this year. We talked about the nattier bus narrative and I think this provided a, a chip on their shoulder, if you will, and the whole Michigan versus everybody narrative, whatever it might be. But um, long rant over. Um, Stallion should have been fired. I'm glad he's gone. I, I, I think Jim Harbaugh's biggest problem has been a blind spot in hiring. This isn't the first time a person has been brought on and then you start to learn about them and you wonder, like, the guy's selling refurbished vacuums off of his front porch. Yeah, I don't know how much of it you guys, I'm I'm in the weeds on this, right? I've had to follow yeah. this at a disgusting level. So the more we learn about this guy, it's like, what, what were you doing even bringing him on, right? So that's the biggest issue I've come out of this. And then, you know, Shemi Schembechler, Bo's son being brought on, and then you find out his Twitter history is just filled with, you know, his likes specifically filled with racist and just inappropriate content. And it's like, how did you miss that? <laughs> right. And they did, they got rid of the background check firm and brought somebody else in, but that's been more the, the question mark, at least in the Michigan side is what's going on with the people we're bringing in and why aren't we looking deeper into these characters? And is it just like 
if you're really passionate about Michigan, is that enough to get on this staff? And what's the follow through when they get in these roles? I think that's the biggest question a lot of folks have around Michigan from a negative perspective, but the sign stealing thing, when we know full well, and there's a lot of other stuff too, that'll probably trickle out. It's going to be an ugly summer, but um, it, it just doesn't get me going. <laughs> it just really, especially when, you know, like the transfer portal just opened and, yeah. and people are being tampered with and being paid money to leave. And it's like, but we're going to worry about this kid sending dudes to go get iPhone footage. I just can't get fired up about it, man. Sure. Now two questions about it. I think I heard somewhere that like, this is something that programs had been doing previously, like, but it just didn't receive, it didn't get blown up for whatever reason. But one of the reasons is that Stallions was using his first and last, like his credit card as his right. first and last name to buy tickets. Even worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Like, um, and, and secondarily, I'm going to ask you this question and then I'm gonna grab my laptop charger. Cause I need to charge yeah, it yeah, while yeah. we're talking here. But, oh. um, why why punish Jim Harbaugh and nobody else? Um, go, rant. Yeah. I'm going to go grab my charger. Yeah, sure. So the, the Stallions piece of it, when the story first came out and we didn't know any of the details, it was framed as this military tactician who had this elaborate scheme with a vast network of spies. That's what it was called. And the more we learn about it, the more we learn how dysfunctional and arguably inept Connor was, right? So one of the things is what you just mentioned, where he was literally using his own name to, to purchase the tickets and transferring, you know, the funds through Venmo on his personal Venmo, right? So he wasn't making any attempts to hide what he was doing, right? So whether that means, again, that he thought he wasn't necessarily doing anything wrong or he just an inept person, right? We, that's for us to figure out or decide later, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, it was not this elaborate scheme from a military brilliant mind, right? It was a guy who was a rabid fan for a few years and been around the program, got this analyst job. His job was to steal signs. Okay. There's no hiding that. I laugh every single time I see footage somebody puts online. They're like, oh, there he is talking to Minter. Because right. <laughs> yeah. everyone has one of those. And like the reason information is leaking out now about like other programs and their sign stealing is because all the sign stealers talk to each other. Right. Connor has a bunch of information on other programs because he talked to other sign stealers. Right. So anyway, um, as far as this becoming a big deal, the, the timeline of it. The NCAA was made aware of this long before anybody else knew about it. And they were not going to pursue it in a large way, right? Because I think they know <laughs> it is prevalent and they don't want to take the cap off, if you will, right? Other Big Ten programs, and again, you can start getting into some of the tinfoil conspiracy stuff here, but a firm was essentially hired and that firm obtained documents related to this scheme from Michigan computers and then turned that over to the NCAA and then the big 10 and was really pushing for something to happen. Then there were conference calls with the big 10 commissioner and coaches and the big 10 commissioner and athletic directors, basically just screaming that they wanted something done immediately, that Harbaugh has to be suspended. Harbaugh has to be suspended. And it, essentially he, he caved on it. They used the sportsmanship policy 
So they technically said they were punishing the school, not Harbaugh. By so he wasn't suspended, but they were publishing this punishing the school by making it where he can't coach for three games. Just just a really bizarre deal. But that's what you know that the folks were screaming for in the Big Ten. And it was a really tumultuous time of tension between these Big Ten programs and Michigan. Um, you know, you can believe what you want to believe when it comes to James Franklin and Ryan Day and some of these other guys and how vocal they were and not wanting Harbaugh coaching in those games. Um, but basically the big 10 felt like they had to do something during the season to level the field, if you will. That was just their perception. And again, that the idea that in the big Ten's punishment, they specifically mentioned the player safety piece. And I just, I don't know. I find that appalling, frankly, because player safety is a serious concern. Um, we just saw Zach Zinter, one of the best players um, on Michigan's team, one of the best players in Michigan history, honestly, just an incredible leader suffer a gruesome leg injury and have to go to the hospital and he's not paid, right? Like his, his career is potentially at risk. And Jim Harbaugh spent the evening with him and his first day back, no longer being suspended. Once again, took that moment to say that players should be compensated, brought up the massive media deal, brought up how much money he makes and says, if I have to make less to make sure players get compensated, I will. And there's a huge swath of people that believe that's something the NCAA really doesn't like about Harbaugh is how many pro player things he says and how many revenue sharing things he says. Now, you're not going to get me to go all the way down that path because I don't think Jim Harbaugh is a victim. Again, it, Connor Stallions did something egregious and stupid and there should be punishment. Right. I'm not I'm not going to pretend that they did nothing wrong. So I think both of those things can be true at the same time. I think Jim Harbaugh can be a thorn in the side of people. And Michigan also did something wrong. But. I just don't think Jim Harbaugh is a victim. And I also don't think he's the worst cheater in the history of college sports. All right. Well, sounds good. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Dude, like I said, uh, I, this has been my life for six weeks, dude. So I could, I could talk about it way longer than you would ever want me to. I've, I've seen some of your <laughs> tweets and I was just like, that is whew, way over my head. So figured we'd get a quick rundown here on yeah. podcast. But uh, with, with all of that said, he is back this weekend. Yep. What kind of effect do you think he has on his team and on being on the sideline? And obviously it's positive. I mean, he's their head man. There's been so like free gym, shown more bawling on TV, which was yeah. just, I, I just thought that was silly. Anyway, what's his effect on on being back for this game? How much does it impact the game, having him on the sideline? I think the biggest impact is just a sense of normal, right? So Jim Harbaugh has been in, you know, the practice facilities and the meeting rooms. The only thing he wasn't allowed to do was be at the games, right? So I've argued that the issue with that has been just logistics, right? So Sharon Moore's made the acting head coach, and that's because of, the fact there's a massive trust between Moore and Harbaugh and Moore and the players. Um, but he wore three hats and arguably three of the most complicated jobs on a football staff, the head coach, the offensive coordinator, specifically play caller and the offensive line coach. And we saw against Penn state, some breakdown in communication a few times where they had to call timeouts because plays weren't getting in. We noticed the play calling didn't seem to have as much rhythm as it had had all year. Same thing with the road game against Maryland. There was just this lack of flow, right? And, and JJ McCarthy was arguably the most impacted by Harbaugh not being there because you see those two talk on the sidelines so often, 
And Harbaugh really just does a really excellent job of, you know, keeping the team level in terms of emotion. And I think that was probably the, the place where they missed him the most. Uh, Sharon Moore obviously is an amazing head coach. There's a reason he's considered the coach in waiting and probably will be literally called that at one point. He goes four and oh as an acting head coach, beats Penn State, beats Ohio State. So this team has been on this mission arguably for three years. So they were able to do this without Harbaugh, but having him back there, it's just like having your leader and, and, you know, the, the main guy and his, his vibe and his emotion. And I think just logistically allowing everybody to go back to doing their job. And now that we know the big 10 has closed their investigation until the NCAA does anything and the NCAA process will be long. Michigan kind of weathered a storm in a lot of ways. And now they're, they're back to normal. They can focus on, beating Iowa, winning the big 10, getting back to the playoff and, and trying to win a national championship. So really it's just that, that sense of normal and that, you know, getting their vision back on what their original goal was at the start of the season. You mentioned Sharon Moore. Definitely want to talk about the Broyles award and and who you believe deserves it at this point in the season. I, I personally think it's down to him and Phil Parker. Well, again, we'll yeah. talk about that here momentarily, but um I want to talk about personnel for, for Michigan um, as a guy. I mean, I, I I've run into folks, especially when we do these preview pods that know generally about other teams, but don't know much about the personnel. And then there's everybody, or there's guys that know so much about opposing teams. And I'm like, all of my energy is focused on Iowa. I have no idea what's going on elsewhere. Yeah. Other than guys like JJ McCarthy, Donovan Edwards, Blake Corum, Roman Wilson, you know, those are, those are the names that pop in my mind when we're talking about Michigan. Other than that, it's just like Michigan's really good. Like that's that's all that's <laughs> in my mind. I mean, how do they operate it? By the sounds of it, it's it's run first and then they go from there. Uh, would you agree with that sentiment and and what are the things that these guys are good at? Names that I missed. Tell me all about it. Yeah. Yeah, so literally every starter on the offensive defensive side of the ball and special team specialist, kicker, punter, and returner. Every single one received all Big Ten honors this week. So this is an incredibly talented team. And then beyond that, it's deep because there's a whole bunch of players that didn't receive honors that play a lot and are really good. Michigan rotates like crazy. That's been the, the biggest thing to, to them all year. Um, obviously not on offensive line, but they did run seven deep there until the Zinter injury. Um but yeah, this is just this is a team that wanted to be more explosive this year, and just we have not seen it. They're efficient. They're arguably the most efficient offense in college football. But between the way they run and, and JJ completes, you know, seventy eight percent of his passes. So with the new clock rule, they're running significantly less plays this year. So their points per game are down, but they score on a lot of possessions, right? So they do still love running the football. This team always will be behind its offensive line and run it but you're just not seeing a lot of the explosive big runs. You're not seeing 200 yard games per se anymore. It's almost like an NFL rushing offense. Quorum's going to get 20 carries, 80 to hundred yards, but he's going to find the end zone. He's got, I think it's 22 touchdowns on the year. Now uh, the record at Michigan leads the nation. Um, Donovan Edwards has just not had the same step as, as he's had in previous years. He's only averaging like three something yards per carry. He's a threat in the passing game as well, but he just hasn't been the same player this year. And Roman Wilson, you mentioned, he's been probably the more explosive player. 
the guys, it, it's tight end. It's probably similar to when Iowa has their best offenses. They've got two really, really good tight ends with Colson Loveland and then A.J. Barner, who played at Indiana previously. They're both really good in the passing game, really good blockers. So J.J. is kind of like Cade Plus, really. He's been a game manager, but he also can make just unbelievable throws at the same time, right? He's an NFL prospect for a reason. And then defensively, they're just Ben don't break and unbelievable. It's they create pressure, but maybe don't get a lot of sacks. They force more turnovers this year than they have in years past. And even if they let you move a little bit, you think you're going to get somewhere. Once you get into the red zone, you're, you're shut down and you're just not going to score points. So <clears throat> when I, when I reference Michigan being really good and everywhere, what my first question is is because i was not really good everywhere <laughs> like that's that's just that's just the way it is in, in iowa city and, and typically but also very much specifically this year with all the injuries yeah. um and the offensive line i said it last night on um voice of college football i don't know if you're familiar with those guys they had me mm-hmm. on the michigan guys had me on but I said that the offensive line has gotten drastically better throughout the year. And I, that's true. Like adding Caleb Brown to the offense has made it so much more dynamic. Deacon Hill went from completing 36% of his passes to 63. Like there's been a lot of growth. There isn't the raw talent that Michigan has and pair that with Jim Harbaugh. And it's just a very daunting task ahead. Of, of Iowa or for Iowa. Are there any weak spots, you know, perceived weak spots that you think the Iowa offense or defense are going to try to be targeting on Saturday? Yeah. So this offensive line for Michigan has once again, once again, been really, really good. It has not been the best in the nation. Joe Moore award-winning offensive line. We saw in 2021 and 2022, and that's primarily because of the tackle play. Uh, The tackles have been susceptible to pressure all year. Uh, Carson Barnhart, while playing right tackle, has given up 22 pressures this year. Ladarius Henderson at left tackle has given up 19. On the interior, Trevor Keegan, Drake Nugent, and Zach Zinter have been locked down. Hardly allowing any pressure. Unbelievable in the run game. However, Zach Zinter you know, is out for the year now after suffering that leg injury. So what they've done is move Barnhart to right guard to replace Zinter, which is Probably a good thing, honestly. He's more of a run blocking guard anyway. That's where his future is if he's you know going to go to the NFL. And then Trent Jones, who started as right tackle last year, lost his job to an injury and has been kind of the sixth offensive lineman when Michigan goes to jumbo sets, is now starting at right tackle. And he's been phenomenal all year, and he was unbelievable in Ohio State when he came in after Zinter. So in a weird way, I don't want to say it's an upgrade because you lost Zinter, but I think they might have accidentally upgraded that right tackle spot with the Zinter injury. So that being said, Penn State with their edge guys, Maryland with some of the dudes they have, and then Ohio State as well, have been able to create pressure on the outside. And, and that's the, the best thing you can do to affect this offense is create pressure and get to J.J. and not let him get out on the run. J.J. is an unbelievable quarterback when he's running out to the right. So if you can contain him, uh, he doesn't throw the ball away. Literally, he has zero throwaway passes this year. So he's either going to scramble out. I know it's an unbelievable stat. You'd think at least once, but no, not a single time this year. (laughs) So he's either going to run out and scramble for a run, 
or he's going to find Cornelius Johnson or Roman Wilson getting into empty space in the defense, or he's going to take a sack. So if you can create pressure on the outside and then stuff the run, because again, you know, Blake Corm as good as he's been this year, he's averaging less than five yards a carry Donovan Edwards, just a little over three, right? If you can stuff the run, force JJ to throw and create pressure on him, you know, you, you, you could be making some noise there, but other than that, you know, they, they don't have crazy dynamic weapons in the passing game. Like we've said um, on defense, it, there's not a lot of holes on the defensive side. So, uh, you know, you brought up Iowa's offensive line playing better. Uh, they're going to have a test. The, the, the interior of this defensive line is the best I've ever seen. Uh, Mason Graham, Kenneth Grant, Chris Jenkins are all arguably first round NFL talent. Just unbelievable defensive tackles that they're rotating. And they've got four edge guys, same thing, that they can rotate and just constantly create pressure. And then two experienced linebackers that are phenomenal, plus Ernest Hausman, who's been good. Will Johnson, we'll see if he plays or not. That might be an opportunity. No Will Johnson. But, um, man, safeties are cut. Of course, <laughs> the defense is just unreal. I, I don't know if I can find a, a gap in the defense for you, unfortunately. <laughs> All right. Good to know. Um, <laughs> well, to put it plainly, my number one concern is – this game ending up like the Penn State game did for Iowa however many weeks ago. And that was with virtually everybody healthy, yeah. right? Like this game, I, I'll, we'll talk final scores, our predictions for final scores coming up again at, at the end of the pod. But that is my number one concern. Michigan dominates in terms of time of possession. Defense gets exhausted. It's, you know, converting third downs repeatedly in the run game. That's that's what I'm looking at is they just keep checking time off and the Iowa defense just can't do anything. The Iowa offense is repeatedly either turning the ball over or three and out. That's the way I see things going. Uh, the only way that that, I think doesn't happen. And I, I mean, like the keys for Iowa, you can, I mean, you essentially have to be perfect. You have to be perfect. You can't turn the ball over. You have to bank on turnovers from Michigan. It's just, there's just that talent discrepancy. And, you know, it's, I, the, the main thing that I want because of travel and because, I mean, we're ultimately, you know, us journalists are the biggest sports fans really because that's our life you know <laughs> we're, don't tell we're, anyone right? look at me like trying to hide it right? I'm I'm the were, yeah. Yeah, yeah i'm i and, and that's not necessarily you know from my vantage point like i'm not rooting for iowa this weekend more so i what i want is is a good game you know and my travel experience to penn state the game did like going to Penn state was really cool, but the game did not make it worth it. <laughs> what I'm hoping for is the opposite going into this one, you know? And so I just don't see a whole lot of opportunity in front of Iowa, especially the way the offense has repeatedly repeatedly left points on the board against teams that aren't near as good as Michigan is. It should have been 21-0 at halftime against Nebraska last week. Hmm. Drop balls, two, three drop balls from Nico Ragini last week. Drop pass, touchdown, Caleb Brown. He tried to catch it with his body. 
which is exhibit a no-no as a receiver. Right. He'd gotten, he'd gotten hurt right before that. Unfortunately missed the entire second half, but he will be, he's hundred percent going into this game um, on, on Saturday, but also two blocked field goals. Drew Stevens is playing the worst football he has in a while that we talked about it. Statistics, statistics wise, he's 10 of 17 since October. That's a failing grade. That's 59%. Mm. This is indoors. It's a little bit different. The one clear advantage I think Iowa has is punter. Like that's that's it. When you got Tory Taylor back there, you know, pin him deep, turn the ball over, don't turn the ball over as an offense. Those are the things that are really that's your best shot. Do you think of anything? I mean, we just kind of talked about weaknesses, right? But like, is there a way that Iowa wins this football game to you? Without injuries? That's yeah. A, well, I, okay, I, yeah. So, because well, here's why, and, and and I hate to be that guy, but just the things you mentioned, right? Um, in terms of turnover margin, and you brought up the Penn State game. Penn State's number one in the country in turnover margin. They get one plus one point five per game. Number two in the country is Michigan. So, <laughs> oh hell, <laughs> yeah. So they they don't turn the ball over on offense, and they do force turnovers on defense. So Michigan won this Ohio state game, not by getting way more yards, Ohio state had more yards per play, not by dominating time of possession by they're the least penalized team in college football. They just don't make mistakes, right? They're going to get maybe two, three penalties a game. They had forced two turnovers and had none. And then they went for it on fourth down three times. They converted all three and Ohio state didn't take any chances. So if you're not an aggressive offense, the, the team that's given Michigan the most fits this year is Maryland because they were willing to be aggressive and take shots with their quarterback. And if you don't have that, you're just not going to interfere with Michigan. There's just no way to do it. Um, the punting is an advantage because again, with it not being an explosive offense, if they're not getting short fields, Michigan could potentially, you could get into a little bit of a field position. I think there'll be moments in the game where field position happens right. Where they go back and forth a couple times, maybe. Um, but they don't give up big plays either. So Iowa and, and inside the red zone, they're the best in the country. I just, I just don't know how Iowa's going to score. I, I really don't. And I think, I don't think Michigan's going to like, I don't think this is going to be 42 to three, like it was a couple of years ago. Um, I, I think Michigan's going to be perfectly fine playing the kind of game Iowa does. And, and we'll get to the score in a little bit. So um, I don't think it's going to be like a massive blowout and Michigan's going to be running trick plays or anything per se, but I just, I don't think I was going to be able to move the ball in the defense. And I don't think they're going to be able to force the Michigan offense into mistakes. I think they're going to slow them down. Iowa's defense is phenomenal. And I know we're going to talk about that with the Moore versus Parker battle. Um, but I, I just don't know what Iowa can do short of somebody being hurt. That really changes the way Michigan plays. Okay. Sorry. No, no, <laughs> not offending me. <laughs> Let's talk about the Broyles award. I am partial to Phil Parker myself, obviously because I've been around it all year. I've seen just how goddamn good that defense is. There's been a couple times where it's like, that was weird. Phil, like Phil um, on third and 11 last week against Nebraska, he faked a blitz for the two safeties and then dropped back and Deshaun Lee got beat on a go route. Like 
there were a couple situations this year where it's like, what is Phil doing? Other than that, like the dude is a wizard. Like I, to take that offense for how atrocious it was, however many weeks this year. And it's not, it's again, it's gotten better. Like 15 points a couple weeks ago, 13 points last week. Like we've seen much more complimentary football these last three weeks than we had prior. Deacon Hill is a different person in terms of confidence than he was six weeks ago. Like we saw him after the Rutgers game. It's like, I haven't seen that before. Like just the way he was talking to everybody, but Phil Parker is what makes, and the Iowa defense is what makes this thing go. I mean, you've seen all the defensive back of the year awards um, at Iowa. Cooper DeGene wins. It doesn't even play the last few weeks of the season, like in returner of the year. And Iowa should be 11 and one right now. I think uh, we could probably be on board. Do right, you agree with I, me there? I I saw the play and I agree with okay. you that the, you're talking about the phantom the, fair yeah. catch, right? Oh my God. I don't know how you make that call at, in that moment. That's unbelievable. You're telling me, man. Unbelievable. Um, but with, with all of that said, Phil Parker is the choice to me. I do understand the argument for Sharon Moore um, having had to step up and be the head coach for this team. And they win all those games where what are you thinking with who should win the award i mean that makes it kind of unique right more being asked to be the head coach adds another element to that that just doesn't normally exist with this award right so it, it's hard to quantify that and and some people have joked like what does that count he was technically the head coach like, right, 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 <laughs> you know? yeah. so um th- that's a weird element so if you take that part out of it um Sharon Moore coming in as the sole play caller has done a really, really good job. And the offensive line is still really good. And again, the offense is incredibly efficient, but since 2021, this offense has been a committee approach. Even when Josh Gaddis won the Broyles in 2021, a lot of Michigan fans were kind of surprised because that was not Josh Gaddis's offense that they ran in 2021. Okay. So like everybody brought a little piece of it. So Mike Hart, the running back coach, former Michigan running back, anybody who watched him play, you can see his fingerprints all over what the running backs do and specifically their running back scheme. Sharon Moore, who came up and played at Oklahoma, they do some pin and pull and some different schemes that looks very reminiscent of what Oklahoma did when they had Adrian Peterson, right? So like everybody kind of brings their own piece to the offense. And then at the end of the day, it's basically what Jim Harbaugh wants to do offensively, what he did at Stanford, what he did at San Francisco, just with all these other guys adding their own little input. So in that way, this defense for Iowa is Phil Parker, right? Like you can't talk about the Iowa defense without saying it's, it's Phil Parker's mind. It's his scheme. You can't necessarily say the same thing with Sean Moore. So you get in this interesting piece where it's like, if you're giving him the award, arguably whoever is the offensive coordinator moving forward. Same thing with Michigan's defense. It's a scheme that came over from Baltimore, right? Mike McDonald was there. Minter came in and did kind of the same thing, but his own pepper, right? So, and the other side of it too, the best weapon for a defense is an efficient offense. For him to do what he's doing defensively, and also the defense never gets rest because of three and outs, and they're constantly – you know, I mean, the punting obviously helps, but like Michigan will go out there and chew up eight minutes and pin them deep consistently, right? They're always bailing their defensive out, their defense out in that way. So in some ways, Sean Moore's offense is so efficient because he's got Jesse Minter's defense, 
right? So in that aspect, if you just talk about pure value, I will not diminish the job Sharon Moore did, but I don't know if there's a more valuable coordinator in the country than Phil Parker. And I'll tell you right now, Michigan message boards are already talking about if Jesse Minter gets another job, which is a high possibility, everybody wants them to go get Phil Parker. (laughs) So he is, I don't think it would happen, but um, (laughs) he is thought of just so highly in, in Michigan and throughout the country, frankly. And, and again, if they ever got an offense, even above average or on par with what he does, I can't imagine what he'd be able to do with, with a partner, so to speak. So I do think more has the edge because of the head coach thing and everything that goes with it, but just on paper, pure offensive coordinator versus defensive coordinator. If I took my bias out of it, I would probably say Phil Parker. Okay. I know there somebody on our boards made the reference that, Oh, he's the only defensive guy. Phil Parker is on that list too. So maybe that's an edge. Oh, Phil Parker. Whereas yeah. Sharon got the, the edge in, in terms of having that head coaching experience this year. Um, it, you know, there were a couple weeks, I don't know if a couple weeks there, but a couple days maybe where people were talking, Oh, maybe USC will go get Phil Parker. <laughs> so I think uh, a lot of these big programs want something like that, but Phil, man, he is Iowa through and through. Um, yeah. He doesn't come up out of his office very often. Like it's a surprise when he goes to Florida for recruiting trips, let alone um, just leave his office because he's so dialed in and he is so, so very much Iowa. You know, there's been, Clips repeatedly of Kirk getting emotional this year. Phil Parker, once uh, they won the Big Ten West Championship, it's kind of a funny story. Uh, they couldn't get a football. They couldn't find a football to give Kirk Ferentz the game ball after the game. And it's like Phil Phil was getting a little upset in the lo- in the locker room. Like, where? Why can't we find a damn football? They ended up <laughs> handing him a helmet. But somebody's just uh, one of the guy's helmets in the locker hey, it's room. A, a game helmet, helmet, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, Phil actually got emotional. He had a video of him handing him the football, and Phil got emotional about it too. So I mean, like the dude is is Iowa. Yeah. It, he. I just can't imagine him anywhere else. It's right. <laughs> like, and USC is laughable to me. Like that's right. Yeah, he's gonna go into you know. LA, LA crew kids. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I remember talking with you at the beginning of the year and my perception was that the Iowa defense would take a step back just because you're losing Van Ness and Campbell and um, trying to mind like who is the corner Riley Moss. Right. So I'm like, those are literally that's three second, first and second round picks. Right. That's really good talent. So for them to take the step again and just constantly you just got these guys rotating every year, right? That's coaching. And that's something like Michigan fans talk about all the time with Ohio state, because Ohio state's always putting together five stars and talent acquisition. And often the best players for Michigan are the three stars with a chip on their shoulder that have been developed. So at a program like Iowa to just constantly keep doing that without the resources or even the recruiting base that a school like Michigan has, Again, just on top of that, with the offense paired with it, it, the job he's done is incredible. So, but, and, and the emotional stuff you're talking about, you'll have to tell me the perception we have is is Kirk's retiring. That's, 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 that's what everybody thinks based on. Right. So, right. Yeah. You know, I think it's a combination of quite a few things. I think, I mean, obviously the sun is setting on his career, right? Like it's going to be within the next few years, if anything. And I think it's a combination of that. 
I think it's a combination of the fact that Brian is gone after this year and he got to spend that time with his son um, and he fought so hard for him to stay on staff for multiple years. And just what he's seen this team go through on top of all of that, with all of the injuries, with all of the issues, with um, so many different things. I, you know, I'm not sure what he does at the end of the year. He's recruiting and operating recruitment like he's planning on sticking around. Um, and if I had to guess, it would at least be a, for another year at the least. Um, but you know, that's one of those things where we will see, you know, uh, as well. And, and I don't think we're going to hear anything about it until he has already played his last game. That's just the way that Kirk operates. Yeah. He doesn't seem like or coached the kind his of last game rather. Yeah. I know what you meant. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. seem like the kind of guy that wants the big going away ceremony or like we had that with Lloyd Carr where I think that was probably a little different. People were maybe ready for a change with Lloyd, but um, he made it pretty well known when he was leaving. So they had the Citrus Bowl against Florida and they ended up winning. That was against Urban Meyer and Tim Tebow the year before they, they won the national championship, ironically. But um, yeah, that, that's just the vibe everybody's having with, with Kirk leaving potentially. So um, I don't, I kind of wish if he was, we did know it would, it would make uh for an interesting moment at, at this championship game, because I do think if, if Michigan fans knew it and maybe they will anyway, just at the chance, but I, I think they would give a, uh, a lot of cheers and support to Ferentz if, if they knew they had the opportunity to just kind of show their respect to what he's accomplished. So speaking of what would be interesting narratives, uh, we haven't talked about Cade and Eric at all. Uh, <sighs> it seemed like the sentiment from the players was, Oh yeah, it'll be good to see them. Um, I, I, I think from both of our vantage points, we would have liked to see Cade and Eric play in this game. That would yeah, be lots really to write fun. about. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but I, I guess what's, what, what are your thoughts on, on that? I know there was the podcast appearance of, of Cade talking about Michigan. I haven't listened to the whole thing. Uh, so I can't speak on it, but I I've listened, listened to part of it. It doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of animosity there from Cade. I think he's moved on. I think he's on on Iowa. I don't even know if Eric all is coming back next year. I do believe he has a year of COVID eligibility, but what, what are your thoughts there? I mean, I, I, I imagine, like I said, we're in the same boat wishing they were playing um, all of that. Do you think the it, it's genuine when these guys are saying, man, I, I, it'll be good to see them talk to them a little bit. Yes and no. So okay. the, the clip with Cade I sorry, my if you can hear a piano, my son is home from school, and that's what that weird noise Got is. It. Just hammering okay. that down. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we talked about last time that I think more so with the fan base than anything else. Right, I've some seen tension. some crazy stuff on Twitter yeah. from the fan base, and a lot of that comes from the episode he did with Jordan Palmer as QB coach, who refused to say JJ's name. And people kind of start connecting some dots that Cade never said JJ's name when he was here either. So when that clip came out where he said the other team, everybody's like, God, he won't even say Michigan. And it just kind of fed into this narrative that's already kind of existed. Right. And there was an article that came out that kind of showed that Cade wasn't exactly very helpful to JJ and some tension was there and his dad has tweeted some stuff. So it's more just a combination of a lot of little things. I think Um, JJ, like you said, has, never taken the low road in that and has been 
complimentary of Cade and things that he's learned from it and did say, yeah, I'd be excited to see him. Um, when Sainer still said it, it felt a little different to me about wishing he was playing because that came across more like, I wish he was playing, right? Like, <laughs> I wish we could hit him and pick him off. And you know what I mean? Like there was some yep. of that there. Um, I, I think like everything else, especially in college football the last year or two, I think it's amplified and more played up than what is real. Right. Mm-hmm. But fans have really turned on Cade. Um, and, and I told you in a lot of ways, it wasn't good. Like they, they booed him when he came back in after JJ's performance against Hawaii. So if he has any ill will towards Michigan, I think it's more the collective of Michigan and not specific players, because again, he was incredibly valuable to that 21 team that won the big 10 championship. They, they literally, I'll say it, they don't win it without Cade McNamara and this culture change doesn't happen without Cade McNamara. So I do think whether it's the 10 year or 15 year reunion where they bring out the team, I think things will be more positive then, but I think people still too are just weird about players transferring to other schools. Like there's been this weird sentiment amongst fans where it's like, Oh, he left the team hanging with the big 10 championship game and he transferred. It's like, well, that's how the portal works. If he didn't go to Iowa when he, Iowa, when he did, then they would have went and got someone else. Like he, you know, it's, it's open right now. Players have to move now. So, but anyway, um, no, I do think any of the players that were there in 2019, 2021, and we're with Cade and know what he means to this team, respect him and genuinely would like to see him. And we'll be excited if he's there to see him. Um, I do think there's probably a piece of, of JJ and some other guys though, that wouldn't mind if beating him on the field, whether it's just a fun brotherly thing, or there is some negative there. I, I don't know, but um, yeah, it, some of it too, is just like, you love the guy when he's on your team and you hate him when he's not. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I, I think that's just part of it too. So but it's definitely more the fan base than it is the team. I would say that. And then Jim Harbaugh has said nothing but positive things about Kane every chance he gets to. So. Yep. And Eric all just kind of seems like a goon that everybody likes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so I don't see any animosity there like, at all. Really? No, it, the, the Eric all Michigan. I think, I've, I think we talked about this off air last Yeah. Time. His yeah, back so, and injuries and yeah, that's more contention. And, and that there's some of that with Cade too, because right. Cade went and got a second opinion before he got his surgery done. So that has to do more with the, the medical and, you know, Michigan's people looking out for Michigan. And then, you know, obviously Cade and all and their families looking out for them and making the decisions they made. So that happens a lot in football, unfortunately. So I think some of that is there, but yeah, Eric all, I mean, the Penn state game, Cade hits Eric all on a crossing route and all with a bum ankle goes up the sideline and wins that game. And without that, they literally don't win the big 10 that year. They're not in contention for it. So again, I, I think they will be thought of fondly as time goes on going to another big 10 school is kind of, eh. but yeah, it would have been so much fun if they were healthy to see them play, but obviously all is a great player. I know he's, still leading Iowa and receiving despite his injury. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think most Thank of the questions just played up media. Thank so. you for laughing at uh, my pain of having to watch that. <laughs> I, I saw it this week and I couldn't believe it. Cause I'm like, wait, wasn't that like, that was weeks ago. He got hurt. Right. And I looked up Wisconsin. Yeah. 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 You know, had Caleb Brown been, actually like in the rotation early on in the year, I think he would lead them in receiving right now. Pretty, pretty, yeah, that's pretty fair. easily. Um, which shocked, shocked in Wisconsin thing. that took him out. Yeah. 
I'm being sarcastic. Okay. <laughs> Is that not a thing for you guys? The I, Wisconsin head hunting? That's my first year on the beat. So maybe okay. I just am not aware. Yeah. But. we, I Brandon Peters, Shea Patterson, Dylan McCaffrey all got knocked out against Wisconsin because of targets to the head. Oh. Um, yeah. It's just been, when I saw that hit on him, I was like, Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so winding things down. I looked at ESPN. Michigan is given a 92.6% chance of winning going into this game. They're favored by 21 and a half over under of 35 and a half. What is your that's a, final? That's score a monster prediction? number for you guys, isn't it? 35. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. Anything over 30, man. But final score prediction from you, Trevor, what, what are you expecting going into this game? Yeah. I, I don't know that Iowa is going to score in the first half. Um, actually, I think I saw the the over under bet on them is literally 0.5. So like yep. you can bet whether they score or don't, but I do think, I, I think Michigan is going to look to pull guys pretty early. And I think that might affect the score. Right. So like Iowa could score 10 cause they're going up against third and fourth string guys for Michigan. Right. Um, like I said, I don't expect Michigan to come out and tear the roof off though. I, I think Michigan's probably going to be, 24, 28, 30, somewhere in their range. Like the guess I'm going to write down is probably 30 to three. That That's probably where I'm going to put the prediction because Michigan has just struggled to close the door on shutouts. They got one this year against Michigan state, but like they've been giving up seven, 10. Like I wouldn't be shocked if that, if that's where Iowa gets, but I do think this is going to be a first half game. And then unfortunately, probably Michigan, even if they're not pulling guys off the field, they're probably going to go real conservative and just kind of ride the car home, if you will. They've done that in big games like Penn State even, where they ran the ball 31 straight times or something insane like that at the end of the Penn State game. Yeah, the only pass they had was ruled pass interference, so J.J. didn't have a single second-half pass against Penn State. So that's why I said Michigan probably will be just fine playing Iowa's game, right? So I I wouldn't be shocked if it is pretty low scoring because – they're not necessarily going to come out looking to exploit anything. They're just going to take what's available to them and, and get enough points to get a win and go home. You know, they're not looking to impress anybody in this game because they win. They're in the playoff. There's not any type of, you know, bonus points or anything like that, that they need to get. But for me, it just comes down to, I, I don't know how the offense for Iowa is going to move. And I, I think that as good as Iowa's defense is, I think Michigan's going to be able to get on the right side of the 50 enough times that, like I said, they'll get in the 20 to 30 range. First of all, uh, you mentioned the playoff. I don't know if you saw the quote from Kirk yesterday at his presser. He said, if we win, that'll probably screw things up. <laughs> and he was like, that would be funny. Um, yeah. I actually, I tweeted that and it ended up, I ended up on big 10 network yesterday um, from, from my tweet, which is kind of funny, which that, I love that attitude, man. Like, right win the big 10 and ruin Michigan season. That should absolutely be where your mindset's at. Yeah. Yep. So last night I said, I said 33 to six Michigan. Yeah. Um, Based on the way you've said thing of that said things of them being willing to play Iowa's game. I can probably retract that and say more. So 27 to six, 27 to three. I mean, I, this is just, I, I mentioned objectivity. I mentioned, you know, 
not as exactly placating to Iowa fans. If I wanted to placate to Iowa fans, I'd say 13-10 Iowa. You know, they they pull it off or they keep it close. Or it's this is just one really, really, really good football team and one football team that's been depleted by injuries that yeah. just doesn't have that four or five star talent that Michigan does and that hasn't played this type of team all year. I mean, Penn State obviously is really good, but there's a difference between Penn State and Michigan. There's a difference between all of the teams that Iowa played this year and Michigan. And if there's any way they squeak it out, they have to be perfect. I mean, I said it several times already. They have to be perfect. And given the track record of what we've seen this year, I don't know that they're even capable of that. Um, So we will see how it shakes out, but both Trevor and I see it as a blowout this weekend. What are your expectations? Drop them in the comments here on YouTube. Let us know on Hotcast. Um, definitely want to hear everybody's thoughts. And where did we get, what did we get wrong? What did we get right? Hit us in the comments. Trevor, appreciate your time, brother. Um, thanks so much for hopping on again. And hopefully uh, hopefully we get a connect here soon. And, you know, this is very different than the last time we talked. Jade McNamara, Eric Hall <laughs> podcast five months ago. Golly. Yeah. And of course oh. they're both out. That's just and Cooper to Gene. Right. Like that's just I'm with you. If 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 Iowa was healthy, I think this actually could have been a really good game. Even just Cooper, man. Like, like it would have been an unbelievable player. Like you can at least think, hey, maybe they get a punt return for a touchdown. Maybe they get a pick six. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's the difference in this one. But I I mean, it, and even if they were playing Ohio State, like Cooper would have been matched up with Marvin Harrison Jr. How fun would that have been? Yeah. We, I think, were robbed in a variety of ways, and the, the fan base was robbed of of seeing something that would have been really fun. And, like, Luke Lachey, I mean, Luke Lachey and Eric, all top five players on this roster, and then you don't have Noah Shannon, who adds to the depth of the, the defensive line. Anyway, it, it's going to be a rough one this weekend, more than likely for Iowa, but... I'll, I'll get you way, a drink when we're in Indy. How's that? Thank you. That, that'll make up for it. Um, <laughs> Very much looking forward to this weekend. If you're there, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. Hit us up on our premium boards, iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. Would love to connect with some folks, talk Hawkeyes, and maybe uh, we can we can connect with Trevor while we're there. It's, and, and you can give him some hell for, for picking Michigan so big and me some hell because it's fine, whatever. But anyway, we'll wrap it up here. We appreciate you tuning into this episode of Hawkcast. Thanks so much for, for listening. If you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, make sure you subscribe so you do not miss an episode. Leave that rate and review. It helps us out a lot. Get your friends to listen, et cetera. And on YouTube, like I said, drop a comment. Let us know what you're thinking of this game. Like the show as well. That helps us out too. And if you're not a premium subscriber yet, you can do that today at iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. For now, my name is Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter, and we will see you next time.